Welcome first-time listeners and returners to the Sports Deli, where we believe that less is more. Less stands for leadership, equality, empowerment, empathy, education, social injustice, suicide prevention, sports, and solutions. We talk a lot about white privilege. We want to mobilize and pay it forward. The Sports Deli is sponsored by SportRx. You can give them a call at 888-831-5817 or find them online at sportrx.com. SportRx is the leader in sport prescription eyewear. They are used by skiers and snowboarders and Major League Baseball players. People all over the world use SportRx. And don't forget to enter the code DELI10 at checkout for your special 10% discount. And now a little bit about your two co-hosts, Dr. J and myself, Hootie Hoot. Dr. J is a sports junkie. He loves politics. His dad was a civil rights lawyer. His mom worked for the government. He's working on his EDD in higher education. He's got his master's degree from the University of South Carolina. He once won third place as a freshman at the University of Kentucky in a Rick Pitino lookalike contest. He loves golf. He's played in Scotland, Mexico, Spain, the United States, and he's played Torrey Pines, the Ocean Course, Pebble Beach, and Doral. He loves the All-American at Waffle House and will, once the pandemic is over, commandeer a booth at night at Waffle House and be broadcasting live right here in the Sports Deli. As for myself, Hootie Hoot, I'm from Detroit. I went to Oak Park High School. I love my Detroit teams. Loved my friends growing up on Leslie. I played five sports in high school. I got cut three times, once in middle school, high school, and in college. And the next year I made the team every single time because I was motivated and so mad that I got cut the previous year. I played JV on the basketball and baseball teams as a junior, but I didn't care because I just wanted to play. And then the next year as a senior, I made the varsity in both baseball and basketball. I give a lot of thanks and big credit and kudos to my youth coaches, Coach Clarefelt, Mr. Emanuel, Richard Maltz, Jeff Feig, uh, Mr. Sternberg, Coach Golding, all played huge parts in my upbringing and my success. And I played four years of college basketball and one year of intercollegiate tennis. I played on the first team in the history of Goucher College in the sport of basketball. I was the first MVP in the history of the men's basketball program. I still hold a record where I made five out of six three-pointers in a game, good for 83%, a single game high, still some 30-plus years later. I went to Frostburg State and learned under the tutelage and mentorship of Oscar Lewis, a phenomenal coach. I've coached men's and women's college basketball for 23 years. I've sent dozens of players to the NCAA and NAIA levels including 11 to the Division I level. I'm also a professional basketball skills trainer, and I give private lessons in both tennis and golf. I currently coach at the Preuss School in San Diego. It's a low-income first-generation high school in the sport of girls' basketball. I have a beautiful, amazing, incredible daughter. I'm a life coach. My mom has been an inspiration to me and a huge support system uh, during all my ups and downs in my life. Unlike John, I will not be commandeering a booth at the Waffle House once the pandemic is over, but at my favorite restaurant, the Crab Hut, right here in San Diego. And now, back to the Sports Deli.
We're so honored on this 14th day of Women's History Month, roughly 34 days away from the WNBA draft, a few days away from the start of March Madness, and roughly two months away from the WNBA's historic 25th season to be joined by the head coach of the Atlanta Dream, Nikki Collin. She shares a birthday with Dennis Rodman, Stephen Colbert, and Stevie Wonder. She grew up in the basketball craze state of Indiana before moving to Wisconsin, where she would attend basketball camps ran by former University of Wisconsin and D3 legendary Wisconsin Platteville coach Bo Ryan. Even though she reached the pinnacle as a coach and had incredible success as a player in college, she thought she was going to follow in tennis legend Chris Everett's footsteps. She also dreamed about being an astronaut as a kid. She has three beautiful children, including a twin boy and girl. And her husband, Tom, who coached college ball for 34 years, is, among other things, Mr. Mom. She played her college ball at Purdue and Marquette and made four consecutive trips to the NCAA tournament, including a trip to the Final Four in 1994 while at Purdue. And her coach at Marquette once asked her, why do you practice shooting so much if you're going to pass up so many shots? She has a mechanical engineering degree and graduated cum laude. She played one year in Greece professionally before coming back to the States and coaching college ball for 15 years before moving on to the WNBA as an assistant with the Connecticut Sun in 2015. She's been the head coach for the Dream for three years and in 2019 was named WNBA Coach of the Year. She demands of herself and her dream team to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. You can find her on Instagram at Coach Nikki C and on Twitter at Nikki Collin, and of course on the Atlanta Dreams website at dream.wnba.com. Coach, we're truly honored that you're joining us today here in the Sports Deli. Yeah, thanks for having me. Holy cow! I guess you did your research on me. So, <laughs> well, they <laughs> made that make memory it. lane there. <laughs> That's right. Time flies when you're having fun, right? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, thinking back to like Bo Ryan days and I went to school with his kids. Um, wow. You know, his, yeah, yeah. His daughter was a year younger than me. So I played a little basketball with her, um, but his sons were kind of more in my younger brother's age group and they were big basketball players. So um, yeah, I grew up with Bo's kids and going wow. to his camps and kind of following his career for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a good story to know that you can start, you know, at the D3 level and 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 make it to that next level. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways to get there for sure. Um, you know, I, I always ask this question first because, you know, Jay Billis was on and he talked about how uh, as a person, his his coach as a senior in high school was a good person, but he just didn't have a great experience. And Kayla Alexander, who was on a couple of weeks ago. Um, said she did have a great experience in high school. And I'm just wondering, um, because, you know, as we approach the 50th anniversary of Title IX, and, you know, I have a daughter, you know, you have kids, obviously, um, a daughter. And uh, was your high school experience um, supported in a way where, uh, where you see a lot of kids quitting now, but, but, it encouraged you and, and reinforced you and, and made you feel empowered so that you wanted to continue? Or were there any moments where you were like, this isn't worth it? Huh. You know, it's really interesting, you know, having two, uh, two high schoolers right now in my house and, and kind of seeing what that looks like. And, you know, I was talking to my daughter the other day about how, 
you know, I felt like when I was that age, I, I was so consumed by sports. Um, you know, I played four sports. I was a volleyball, basketball, softball, and I played club co-ed soccer when I was in high school. And so, you know, that was pretty consuming. Um, and, and I had a boyfriend type of thing. And so, you know, I didn't, I, I always said that, like, I think I was friends with everyone and friends with no one, which sounds really weird, but I think I got along with everyone, um, but yeah. didn't ever kind of build that click around me. And when I think back on my high school, high school experience, I don't think of it positively or negatively. It was just kind of part of my life. Like I have yeah. so many friends in life that I've, that I've, um, you know, kind of, had along the way, but there's not a lot of high school people that, you know, I see or really interact other than your typical Facebook acquaintances. Yeah. And, and I think it was because I was so driven, um, you know, really academically and athletically that that was, that was my sole focus. And so certainly I would say no coaches derailed that, you know, as I went through, um, you know, mm -hmm. starting to play back then, it wasn't as common as today, but playing AAU basketball was kind of the catalyst for me in terms of seeing what basketball could do for me, as opposed to, you know, just playing it and being competitive and wanting to win and, you know, being able to play and being in a national situation and, and knowing I was competing against the best. And then, you know, you just hear all the stories and it just makes the world smaller when you get, when you have those experiences. Mm -hmm. But I always say when it comes to high school, the unique thing for me was that my volleyball coach um, was actually probably the first female coach I had. Wow. Um, and I think back to, you know, from little league baseball to, um, you know, middle school basketball and kind of everything in between. You had a lot of dads, you know, um, helping run your youth <laughs> rec programs and all of that. And then ultimately when I played um, high school volleyball, it was the first female that I really had. And I found that she, her expectations were so much higher um, for us, you know, in terms of how hard she would push and what she demanded of us. Um, and it was totally different than, you know, my other sports experiences where I had really good people um, and people that I like and, and could easily pick up the phone and call today and, and talk to, but I mean, it was, it was that experience with volleyball that made me think, okay, when I go to college, I want to play for a female because I wanted that experience. Again, I wanted someone who wasn't afraid to push me, who thought I had another level. Um, and that was a big part of me choosing um, Purdue and Lynn Dunn was because I thought mm -hmm. she was tough, but I thought she was smart and, you know, could really push me to a different level. And, and um, you know, it wasn't that I ever wanted to be a coach. You know, I just found that I appreciated, um, you know, that, that there was no limit on what she thought we were all capable of doing, you know, and, and so we trained harder. We, um, you know, she wasn't afraid to be um, straightforward with us and things like that. So, so I think it shaped me that way. Um, you know, basketball was just the thing that I loved, you know, so I don't think there was any coach or any person that could have really derailed that because I was so singularly focused on where could that take me that, you know, if I had a bad high school practice, I was still going to go over to UW-Platteville and get shots up with my dad, you know, and so my dad was that guy that was basically, you know, my rebounder my whole life. That's really interesting because the first thing that came to mind was because that time when you were in high school, 
and going into college was when women's basketball really turned a corner. Mm-hmm. And um, typically you think of it, it as the other way around, whereas it's the male coaches that are challenging you more. And, you know, young players may have a hard time with that. And for you, it was the other way around. So I think that's, that's amazing that that's, uh, you know, it was your experience. And, and, you know, now we see that just more and more, you know, whether it's Muffin McGraw, whether it's you, you know, whether it's Pat Summit, you know, so many amazing women's coaches, you know, that that's really in the 90s and, and starting in the 2000s really, you know, started to get more prominence. Well, when you think about like, I mean, late 80s, early 90s, when I was in high school, you know, gosh, you had coaches that were making like an extra $1,500 to coach a sport, you know, they were all right. teachers and yeah. they, you know, they did it. And, and it's just different today. The high school scene is different um, yeah. all the way around. Certainly, you know, a lot of schools still have requirements about coaches being, you know, in the school system and things like that. Um, but, you know, I, I just think it was, um, you know, my dad had always been the person that was my biggest fan, but also my biggest critic, you know, so I was used to the um, post game <laughs> rants, um, <laughs> you know, the the play by play breakdown, but also the, you know, you need to do this and you need to do that. And, and, um, you know, he's the one that, that toughened me up, you know, so that I think when I had a coach who challenged me and, you know, I mean, certainly Lynn Dunn, when I played for her, I mean, you, you can't even say the things that she would say, <laughs> you know, now 20 years later, you know, right. in a practice. And now we can laugh about it. And we can talk about how it made us mentally tougher. And, and I love Lynn Dunn and we have a good relationship. I texted her last week about, you know, a player on that Kentucky team uh, where she, that she's a part of that program. Um, yeah. But I mean, times have changed and how, how you can actually address players and the expectations and, you know, I always joke back then we had, we had goal body fats, we had goal weights, we had, you know, no one was afraid to tell us we needed to gain five pounds or lose five pounds. And, mm-hmm. you know, we just, we, we have to be so careful, you know, kind of about all of that when dealing with female athletes um, today. Totally. totally yeah. So t- talk about your, your college experience. We're, we're in March madness right now. Your season's right around the corner. You, you still, love watching March Madness, even though, you know, you're not in that game anymore. (laughs) That's a stupid question. (laughs) You know, you know, it's, it's funny. Like, um, I told people the other day, like, I just really don't watch much college men's basketball. I watch a ton of college women's basketball. And a lot of it is because of the relationships I formed over the years and the teams and coaches that I still follow. And then it's just part of my job to know the players, you know, to really, uh, be prepared for the draft and really understand who's out there and who's coming up and, and what it's going to look like. And then I watch a, a whole lot of NBA basketball because that that's literally way more of the parallel. Um, not that we're as athletic or can do some of the things that the NBA can do, but, you know, with the 24 second shot clock and, you know, the, the, the way teams play and utilize players and, and the way they coach late game situations. And, and I would say the, the thing that's kind of funny, like even when I watch games, I was, I was uh, scouting the ACC tournament um, last week and I was with my GM and I was watching warmups and I was just driving me crazy because I thought the team wasn't preparing well in warmups. And he's like, you just can't even sit here and not coach and dang warmups, you know, like. It's funny you said that because uh, I was just listening to uh, Doug Gottlieb's interview with uh, Ryan Odom from UMBC, and they were talking about that very thing uh, about how uh, games are won and lost in layup line. 
And I can tell you that when I was coaching, it would drive me nuts if the players would miss layups in the layup line when I was a head coach at the at the college level. Now it's not so much because of, of where I am, but uh, I watched intently during layup line. So I, I, I feel you. Yeah, it's really interesting, you know, like the thing that you find, especially when you become a head coach, is that when you watch um, basketball, whether it's March Madness or you you're watching it a different way you 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 kind of lose that fan perspective at times because you're always you're always analyzing who's doing what and why you know and whether it's from an offensive perspective or a defensive perspective or what they ran and why it worked or you know schemes and things like that you do that now I will always be a basketball fan and you know I'm as much as anyone you know like my experience at FGCU and you know I watched them you know win um, the ASUN championship today. And so the yeah. idea of watching, you know, a team like them face a power five school in, in the NCAA tournament, that's fun. You know, the underdog oh. kind of thing, how do, how does that matchup work? Um, so, yeah, I mean, when I think about my playing career, you know, it's, it's one of my favorite moments. I mean, we played in the final four, my freshman year, we played in the final eight, my sophomore year, but there is no doubt that the moment that I rem- remember as a player more than any moment um, was my first year at Marquette playing um, when we upset Clemson in the first round of the NCAA tournament, mm. um, you know, a legendary coach in Jim Davis at Clemson yeah. and a game that, you know, it was that five twelve upset. Right. And I remember that feeling in the locker room because it was Marquette's first ever um, NCAA tournament win, you know, and that right. meant more to me than being, you know, sitting further down the bench when I played at Purdue and super proud of my experience there but really being central to us winning a game and doing something at our university that had never been done before. I remember that moment in the locker room as much as any moment as a player in terms of how good that felt and how exciting that was. So I I think there are moments that you have when you play and you're in those situations that you really don't forget, you know, because it is 25 years later almost for me now. And, and it's still, you know, I can still kind of get chills from, from that moment. Yeah, I can't even imagine what that must feel like just uh, being an integral part of the success of the team and uh, knowing all those years of hard work have paid off. And obviously, there's a little bit of luck involved in in anything that you're doing at a high level. But uh, what an amazing uh, experience that must have been. We hope you're enjoying your favorite deli sandwich or bagel and your favorite beverage as we listen to an interview with Nikki Collin the head coach of the Atlanta Dream of the WNBA. Prior to her stop in Atlanta, she was an assistant coach with the Connecticut Sun of the WNBA, and her college coaching career started at Colorado State in 2001. She moved on to Ball State in 2003. She went to Louisville before going to Arkansas and then Florida Gulf Coast. Now back to this incredible interview with Nikki Collin, head coach of the Atlanta Dream of the WNBA right here in the Sports Deli. You know, I coach college ball a long time and and I'm a pro skills trainer now. And when we first got into this business, you know, we were just supposed to coach. And um, as time's gone on, you know, we have to be more empathetic. We have to be life coaches. We have to be psychologists, you know, a lot of different things. And we were at a crossroads, maybe more than at any other time in our coaching histories, um, slightly older than you you know, this past summer. And um, so, you know, I want to come from sort of an educational standpoint, right? You have kids and 
that teaches you a lot about life and how you, how you handle situations. But, um, you know, what did your college coaching experience teach you? Uh, maybe share that story initially that you were going to do something else. And Jay Billis has talked about this. Craig Escherich has talked about this. You're in the middle of making other plans. Then all of a sudden you're, you're, you're deciding that, okay, well, maybe I'll try coaching. And, you know, uh, your now husband was someone that reached out to you and said, Hey, mm-hmm. I remember when I recruited you and, and uh, you know, I just think you'd be a great fit for this family of ours. And so t- tell us what you learned from that, that makes you uh, have that it factor. Cause you definitely have it. You're one of 8 billion people. That's a head coach in the WNBA. It's, it's just, your, your story is just fascinating to me. Well, I think, you know, it's kind of funny. Like I've, I, I think back to, you know, I used to sit in Jim Jaber's office the year I was sitting out at Marquette and um mm-hmm. You know, I, I would pop in every day because I was just a gym rat. I mean, I was that old school gym rat. Where when, when class got out, you know, I was going to go down. I was going to hang around in the basketball offices and wait, you know, till at that time, the restricted earnings coach could, right. you know, rebound for me. And and then we'd play one on one. You know, she was only a couple of years older than me. So, you know, we would just have these these wars. Um um, but I would pop my head into his office and he'd say, you know, I don't even know why you're doing this engineering thing. You're going to coach. And I would just laugh at him. <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I'm not. And I have to tell you, like the thing about it, people would ask me, why do you, why, why do you not think you want to coach? And, and it was, it boiled down to one simple thing to me. Like I was such, you know, it, it, it part of it was just being a gym rat and loving the game. Like I, I am one of those people that lives, breathes, you know, like I know that basketball has created this path to do a million things, you know, like it is the single thread that kind of runs through my life from the moment I started playing that connects a lot of dots. And, you know, but I was so committed to it. I was so committed to not cheating the game and, and loving the process as, as cliche as that sounds. And so the thing that I always thought, like, I would tell my coaches, like, I don't think I can coach because I look at the players that you coach my teammates who have 10 times more talent, you know, in their big toe than I have, you know, in some ways, but they just don't want it. You know, they don't, they, they think they want it, but they don't. And, you know, I would think, wow, if she would work half as hard as I work, like she could be a WNBA player or a pro, you know, like she could make a career out of this, you know? And, oh. it, and it was like, how do you, like, as a coach, I thought, I'm not going to be capable of kind of bridging that gap between how badly I want somebody to be good or how good I think they can be and, and what they want, you know, like you can't make anyone want it more, you know, than, than they do, um, you know, and you see that all the time. And so, you know, I just thought that's not how I live my life. That's not how I think that's not, you know, like if I'm going to, if I'm going to take an engineering class, like, I, I want to be the best in my engineering class, you know, even if I don't ever want to be an engineer, like it's just this competitive spirit I have about not cheating things. And so, you know, but I think when I had the opportunity, the thing that I learned really, really quickly, and it's the lesson, you know, when people ask me, like, what's the one thing as a new coach that like, I have to know. And it's like, my one lesson to all new coaches is that you have to figure out where a person is at and pull them closer to where you think they can be, but never assume they're going to get to where you want them to go. You know, it's like, how do you, how do you meet them? And if, and if your goal as a coach is to play the players that work the hardest, 
you may not be in this profession very long because the reality is you have to play the players that give you the best chance to win, you know, and it's not always your hardest workers. It's not always the players that want it the most, you know, and, and you certainly can build a team full of like really hard workers, but against a more talented team, you might get yourself in trouble at times. And so it's kind of figuring out like how to, you know, kind of meet them where they're at and pull more out of them than they think they have but you may never get them to where you think they can go. But it's like, if you get them a little further than they think they can go, then, then you've done something. And so I think, you know, that was the challenge. That's the, the corner I kind of turned in terms of, okay, I love basketball so much and I'm not ready to like say goodbye to it. So, okay, I'll coach and figure out if this is something I might want to do right now. But I, but I don't think when I started that I thought, okay, 25 years later, I'm going to still be doing this. Like I just wasn't on that path of I'm going to take this job now and I'm going to be the next Pat Summit or I'm going to be the next, you know, I wasn't going to be the next anyone. I was just going to figure out if I enjoyed being a part of the game, you know? So, so I think that's, you know, in, in a nutshell, in, in some ways, that's how my career has meandered. You know, it's like, I've always loved it. I've always touched it in some way, even when I was a stay at home mom, you know, I was still doing some TV, high school TV games and I was still doing some scouting from home. And I like never took, you know, um, the pulse never left me. It's just, you know, it, it looked a little different, you know, at times, but I think every stage, you know, I learned a little bit more about the game or, or took a slightly different approach to it. And so, you know, I don't think there's one right way to get here. Um, but I think if you're committed and you love it and, you know, you're passionate about it, you know, you have to have things go right. I mean, it's silly. Like I always say, like, you know, I, I grew up with a dad who did not say, Hey, you can do whatever you want, you know, as long as you're willing to work for it. Like that, that didn't exist in my house. You know, I always joke that my dad would always say like, figure out what occupation you can do that makes you enough money so that you can do the things you're passionate about. And so it was kind of like, it was a very different approach to how, um, and yet I do something that I'm incredibly passionate about and I don't, and it's not about the money, you know, but it's the idea of, I think sometimes we try to say, Hey, you can be anything you want and let's be realistic. Not everyone can be what they want. You know, not everyone's can wake up one day and say, I'm going to be an astronaut, you know, and, and 10 years later, or 20 years later is going to be an astronaut. Like, Sometimes we have to be realistic about what we're capable of doing and then what's the path to get there. Um, and so as much as you know, you want to be motivational, you also have to take a realistic approach in life because otherwise, are you going to meet any benchmarks, you know? And so are you going to be disappointed along the way if, if you have this one goal and it's not really conceivable, you know? So I think it's, that's the weird part about being a parent. You just want your kids to be happy but you want to kind of guide them to the point of like, okay, here's some things you're good at. Maybe, maybe you should fall in love with this, you know, <laughs> because, you know, it's uh, maybe this other thing isn't exactly, you know, the right thing and, and help them figure that out themselves. But, you know, I think sometimes there's, there's, we, we get going down these paths of if you love it and you're willing to work for it, you're going to get it. You know, like if, if, if that were the case, I'd probably still be playing, <laughs> you know? That's true. It's, it's interesting. There's a lot of things that went through my mind when you talked about that. And you didn't just learn about the game 
and the peripheral components, you learned a lot about yourself along the way too, which helps you form your philosophy, which is not something you necessarily know in the beginning, except maybe work ethic or some of the things that got you to that point. But I, I want to ask you about what you said about, uh, you didn't say it in so many words, but this is, I think what you were saying is fairness versus equality. And is that something that you talk about, or did you talk about this at the college level when you were an assistant? And now with the dream, do you share that right from the jump in your first meeting and say, listen, ladies, we're not all the same. Everyone has different strengths and weaknesses. And all I want to see is uh, the evolution of you individually, which will help us collectively because the sum of the parts is greater than the parts themselves. And that's what I'm interested in. I'm not interested in equality. Is that what you share with them right from the jump? Pretty much. And I, I think there's, there's, there's different ways to say it. Um, but yeah, and the other thing I say, um, and anyone can steal it if they want to, because I think I'm sure I stole it from somebody. Um, but the idea of like, if you consider, if you're a player and you consider me a bank, you have a choice every day to make deposits or make withdrawals, you know? Hmm. And for every time you make a deposit, you know, like you're building, you're building equity with me, you know, so that if you have a bad day, if you need something, if you, you know, it's super easy for me to say, take that withdrawal and run with it. Like, you know, but if you're someone that's constantly asking, you know, is constantly making withdrawals, you need something, you, you're, you're tired today, you're this, you're that, you know, then there's, then there's that reputation is built. Like, who do you want to be, you know? And so, you know, I, I think it's even that way. Like if, if you, if you want to have the, the best relationship with me, like use every opportunity to make deposits, you know, and then, and then I've got your back, you know, and I, I think the pro game is different than the collegiate game in a lot of, in a lot of ways there, there are similarities, there are differences. Um, but it's really about winning. And it's sometimes it's about managing personalities more than it is about, you know, um, managing playing time or managing, um, a game. It's about, you know, keeping people kind of, um, in a good place, mentally, physically, from a recovery perspective. And so you don't treat everybody the same. You, you can't, um, you know, and, and I do think I do treat people fairly. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure there are examples where players, plenty of players would say that I didn't, you know, because we all come from a different perspective, you know? And so it's, you know, I, I really feel like at my level, so often my job is to walk alongside you know, my players, as opposed to in college where you're that mentor and you're always kind of in front of them and leading them and pulling them along. Sometimes my biggest job is to, to walk alongside of them, to see, you know, their perspective and, and whether it's from the Black Lives Matter movement to game prep and game planning and a player having a, a feeling like they have an advantage and, and me being willing to have that conversation on the sideline and say, okay, I'm going to come back to you. Um, you don't see a lot of college kids, you know, going up to Gino and saying, I want the ball right now. He's going to tell them I'm going to give you the ball right now, you know? And so I think there's, there's different challenges at every level. Um, but I think you learn at our level, um, you know, really how to manage personalities and, you know, kind of uh, figure, figure that, that component out as much as anything. Yeah. There's been a lot of evolution in the game and, and a lot of crossroads and, lightning bolts and uh, you know, you mentioned black lives matter. I'm going to come to that in a second, but I, I want to ask you one question. Um, you, you didn't always sound and feel as confident as you sound and feel right now. 
when you were coaching? Because, you know, just like a natural progression, you know, we question ourselves, you know, is this the right thing after five years, after 10 years or 15 years? So you took some time off for your family and you're hired at Arkansas by your husband and put you in charge of the defense. And you went from 86th to 10th in the country uh, at Arkansas for four straight, after four straight empty trips to the NCAA tournament. Tell everyone what that did for you more than anything. You know, the wind's great and everything, but what, what did that do for your confidence? And was that the, the aha moment? I think it was, it, was, it was definitely one of them. And I think you become, the more time you spend around the game, the more confident you become um, with your decision-making. And certainly that was a unique opportunity because when he told me to, okay, here's the defense, there wasn't a, this is what we're doing, you just run it. You know, it was no, 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 no. Like you figure out what's this team's going to be good at. You know, this is our personnel, you know, our personnel. And so I just spent a lot of time, like, I mean, back then, you know, it was like, okay, I'm going to watch Dick Bennett's pack line defense and I'm going to watch film on Tom Izzo and I'm going to watch, you know, and, and those two guys became a little my disciples, Tom Izzo, as much as anybody in terms of philosophically where we were pushing people and things like that Mm -hmm. and the physicality and the rebounding side of it. Um, but you know, it was also studying what are teams running? Like what are most teams running now? Like the Princeton action had started to come in. So what's the best way to guard Princeton? So I would watch Princeton teaching videos and just think about, okay, what's the best way to guard this? Do we, do we switch? Do we do this? And, you know, so a lot of it comes back to like work ethic, being willing to figure out based on your roster, I thought I've got really good athletes, but I don't have better athletes than Tennessee, LSU, you know, and so (laughs) figuring out how we can be successful in building it and really building it foundationally, you know, and, and fundamentally and, and starting every day kind of the same way, maybe tweaking it, but, you know, and so, you know, it was one of those situations where we were able to get player buy-in pretty quickly. And we won a lot of games that year because we held our opponents down as opposed to being like an offensive juggernaut. But, you know, it was the moment, you know, kind of we made the NCAA tournament that year. We're in the second round um, of the NCAA tournament. We're playing at AM and they're dismantling us. I mean, you know, there's just no, nothing other than to say, sometimes you, you can have the best game plan and yeah. an offense is just better than you that day. And we were playing in front of a big crowd at AM and and Kelsey Bone was kicking our butt on the low block. And, and so it was kind of like, okay, well, we'll let's try two, three zone. Well, we tried two, three zone and they were hammering us on whatever side our small forward was on. You know, they were really getting to the diagonal pass and and really doing a good job taking advantage of that. And and so I remember like for the first time, literally the entire season, I looked at my husband and said, what the hell do you think we should do here? You know? And he's like, well, that's what I hired you to do. Figure it out. I mean, it was there. That's all I got, you know, walking into the timeout. (laughs) So I remember like walking into the timeout because it was the one thing about the autonomy that I got in terms of handling the defense was always going into the huddle first, you know, and having the players to myself and, and being able to make adjustments. And so your confidence grows every time you make an adjustment and it works every time you make an adjustment, and the players buy in, you know, every time you take away someone's right shoulder and the players are like, wow, she can't score. I just took her right shoulder away. Okay, coach, I got it. You know, so that the next time you ask them to do something, they have full buy-in because they've seen it work. 
Um, and so I remember going into that huddle and saying, all right, you guys, we're going back to the three, two zone. So we keep our bigs, you know, connected to their bigs. And, you know, like, I know we put this in before we played Tennessee, like eight weeks ago and we did it for one game and it worked for about four minutes. And then we didn't practice it enough to really, you know, kind of understand all the, you know, ways that we need to tweak it against certain actions. And so I said, we're going back to that. Um, you know, but gosh, if they get into horns, we'll just play it like man, we'll rise our posts up, you know, and, and we'll, we'll almost play it like our man-to-man defense. And so I gave them those two rules and it came down to a one point game with a chance to win the game. And I remember going through the line after the game and, you know, Gary Blair's this way with everybody, but you know, he, he handshakes for like seven hours. I think it's the one (laughs) thing about, I think it's the one thing about the pandemic that Gary like misses more than anything is the whole, like he has to wave, he has to wave at his opponents rather than, you know, talk to every single player and coach along the way. But, um, you know, he just pulled me aside and was like, you know, now Nikki, that three, two zone, you know, like, and it was just, you know, and it was, it was one of those moments, you say those aha moments where you go in that split second where I had to make a decision that was, you know, and then not just make the decision, but convince the players that it was the right decision, you know? So whether you're confident or not, like, if you exude confidence, they feel it, you know? And I think that's a big part of coaching. Like you don't get player buy-in, whether you're, I always say like, you know, when I'm, I have assistants that work for me or when I was working with other assistants and it's your scout, like you got to sell it. I mean, your scout has to be sold, you know? And I think that's a big part of coaching is if you get the players to believe that whether you're trapping ball screens or hedging ball, whatever you're doing, you got to sell it. You got to tell them why younger players. You don't have to tell why sometimes pros, they need to know the why, but you know, I think it's, it's, it's all about getting that buy-in, but you talk about, you know, whether it was an aha moment, it was a moment where I thought, yeah, I really can do this. You know, like I can make hard choices in, in big moments and, and, you know, and felt good about it, you know, afterward, didn't feel good about losing, didn't, you know, but, but yeah, you have those moments all along the way. And, you know, it's no different when I came to the pro game and was working for Kurt Miller in Connecticut. I thought, okay, 18 to 22 year olds think I know what I'm doing, but will (laughs) 32 year olds, you know, really, really buy in. I've never coached in the pros. Like, is it going to be the same? And I, and, you know, you learn pretty quickly that, you know, even going to the Hawks training camps, we're all doing the same thing. You know, we're all coaching the same sport. We have different resources, talent, size, all those things, but essentially we're all doing the same thing. But I remember at the end of my first year um, in Connecticut, we do exit interviews on the way out. And our point guard, Jazz Thomas, you know, as we were doing this exit interview said that in all our years of playing, that I was the coach that did the best job of kind of getting sometimes intricate, difficult things and making them seem less complicated and easy and us capable Mm. of doing them, you know, and it's kind of that whole, how are you communicating that information so they can understand it, believe in it, you know, want to do it. And, and so that was another one of those moments where I thought, okay, like I can do this, I can do hard things, you know, it's kind of is, and Mm. um, you know, it's those things that just like build your confidence going forward, um, you know, kind of each and every step of the way. And you're always going to have, new moments, a late game situation. The first time you get in that late game situation as a head coach and something you do works, you know, like we do this silly thing. When I had Tiffany Hayes, my first year, 
where we were in so many late game situations where we had to inbound the ball. So if we were in, if we were in the front court, I'd put my entire team in the back court, except for Tiffany Hayes, you know, and just give her an entire half a court to get open, you know, and, and the, the first time we did it, I remember like <laughs> Indiana looking at us, like they're looking at Pokey Chapman going like, do we go down there? Do we go, do we, where, where do we go? And my staff's looking at me, the players are kind of laughing. And then they realize like, I mean, Tiffany Hayes is one of the fastest players on the right. planet. Like, yeah. and she shoots 90% from the foul line in late game yeah. situations. All we have to do is give her space to get open. And so it kind of became our thing, you know, and, and, uh, but I'd never seen anybody else do it, but I just thought like, why not give a player that has as this huge advantage, you know, space to do it. And so, you know, then you just kind of high five your staff after it works and everyone's laughing and like, wait, what just happened? And, and the amazing thing was it was really hard to scout because if you think about the camera, where the camera goes, they're not even showing all the people in the backboard <laughs> and what right. we were doing back there, right? So nobody even knew like that we were playing next, what the heck happened back there. All they saw was an offensive and a defensive player, you know, down here trying to get open. So yeah, I mean, you just have those moments in coaching where things work that you go, yeah, I know what I'm doing. That's cool. So you, you uh, uh, finish your, your college coaching career, you, you go work with Kurt Miller. Uh, who's a good friend of yours. And so what, what did you, what did you learn there before uh, you knew you were like, I'm ready to be a head coach either. I don't want to be an assistant coach anymore. Or, like I, I want the, I want to run my own show. Yeah. I don't, you know, it's funny. I wasn't even thinking that way. I mean, I, I think that's just in some ways I'm not, I always tell people like from a personal perspective, you know, losing uh, I lost my sister to a super short battle with cancer. Um, she was 41 at the time I was 38 and it was, it was one of those moments where you just say, okay, this whole like five-year plan thing, let's throw that out the window. Um, the, the, the decision to go work for Kurt was simply a decision of this feels right, right now, you know, like I don't, I didn't have this dream of coaching in the WNBA, but Kurt and I had always wanted to coach together. So it was kind of the first opportunity we'd had since like, 1999, you know, 2000, when we worked together at Colorado State. And mm -hmm. so, you know, it was just a unique opportunity. And I thought, let me try this. This seems right, right now. And I just really enjoyed it. And I, we had a really good team coming back. I wasn't, um, you know, I always say, if you're always looking for something and you're not happy where you're at, then you may never be happy where you're going. But I think what made um, my situation here so organic was I, I was really happy where I was at and, and I loved coaching there. And I wasn't thinking, um, am I ready? Is this something I want? Um, you know, I was just doing my job. And I think what I learned there is that, you know, it's the same as every coach I've ever worked for. I mean, when you're an assistant coach, your job is to figure out how you fit, how you can make that program better. And, you know, when, when I worked with my husband, he was good cop and I tended to be bad cop, you know, like when I worked for Carl Semesco and, and, you know, he's just this meticulous planning, you know, I was the fun guy, you know, like just made That's him laugh and, and, and enjoyed, you know, kind of, I mean, I always say like at FGCU, the game was close until about four minutes into the second quarter. And then we, then we'd put about a 20 to four run on someone and right. it would be like, nothing but smiles and high fives the rest of the time. So just like know, yesterday, there, there, you know, exactly. Like there wasn't a ton of stress, you know, in terms of 
being on that sideline, but you know, it was figuring out Carl who wins like nearly 90% of his games. Like how, how can I, how can I provide here? How can I give something that's different, whether it's a perspective. And I think, you know, he and I built this really, really good camaraderie in terms of our communication. And, Hmm. and, uh, and I learned a lot from him. I learned different ways to do things. And some of them, you know, don't translate as well to the pros and some of them, as simple as they sound getting in a spread situation with a shooter in the corner and a lane line open is mm. it might be the basis of, you know, a lot of the motion stuff he runs. And so, you know um, you know, but, I, but I think with Kurt, sometimes it was just being his translator. I mean, he's, he's so smart and we think so similarly in terms of game plans and execution and things like that, but our communication styles are very different, you know? And so um, you know, I just kind of learned to be sometimes the, the, the translator, like, I know this is what he said, but you know, or how he said it, but here's <laughs> what he wants, you know, and like, kind of, um, you know, so I think every step along the way, when you get into coaching and, and you're an assistant coach, if you're not learning, you might as well get out. Like, if you're always thinking about, you know, I want my own team, I want to run my own program, um, then you're not taking advantage of the situation you're in because I look back and when people say like, who are your mentors? Like, I don't, I don't know that I, you know, I'm not someone that has the same philosophy as anyone I've coached with, but I have pieces of everyone, you know, because I think over time, if you're paying attention, you're going to pull the best of every, everybody and figure out in the situation you're in, whether it's personnel based or it's, it's how you want to build your roster at our level you know, like, this is what I want to look like. And this is why, and it's based on experience. And so, you know, I think Kurt, especially in year two, you know, had kind of given me that same defensive coordinator title, put me in the huddles, you know, so now I'm, I'm in the huddle, you know, that first, you know, 45 seconds of a timeout getting to make those adjustments. And I think that that is the easiest transition in terms of knowing you're ready is, is having their ears, being able to make those adjustments, you know, being able to game plan and say, no, 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 we're jamming screens this game. And, and you know what, if it doesn't work, I gotta, I gotta get us out of it, you know? And so I think that's how, you know, you're ready, but you don't, you know, I wasn't ready until, I mean, when I took the job here, I still didn't know if I was ready. <laughs> you know, I don't yeah. think you ever, I don't think there's to me and everybody could be different. I didn't say like, this is where I have to be. This is where I, 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 you know, mentally I'm at where I need to run my own program or, or my own franchise. It was simply, this is a really cool opportunity and, and how do I make it work? And so, you know, you take the job and the next day you go, you make your list <laughs> just like you would any other day. And you say, okay, well today I need to hire an assistant coach or I need to start calling coaching candidates and I need to, you know, who are the free agents? And so you just start working, you know, and if you, yeah. if you have good work ethic, you figure out that list and then you figure out the people that you know that help you build that list. Cause it's like, what am I missing? Cause I'm sure I'm missing a million things. I've never been a head coach before. So you start asking people and that's why you network. Like that's why, you know, you, you have the people in your life that you do because they're the people when you have questions, like we'll take your call. So have you called coach Izzo lately? <laughs> you know, he's definitely never been on speed dial. I can say that. I will say this is really cool. Like he, um, you know, I watched so many of his videos and I yeah. love like the toughness side of his teaching and all of that. But I have like an AAU teammate um, from when I played for the Wisconsin Viking club back in the day, wow. whose son now 
um, signed with Michigan State. Um, wow. she, they're from Chicago. And so he'll be a freshman at Michigan State next fall. And I just thought that was so cool. One, I'm like, how are we this old? You know, that you have a, <laughs> that you have a son that's going to be going away to college. You know, like how, wow. time goes by so fast because I yeah. always say I'm like 45 going on 14. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I would call him someone that I like a mentor in terms of learning. I don't, I don't really have that personal relationship with him. That's interesting. Well, his assistant, uh, Doug uh, Wojcik, I've known for a long time and, and I talked to him a lot this year. So just uh, let me know. I got you. Yeah. Big day for that. <laughs> Sneaking in, huh? I know. Craziness. That concludes part one of the interview with Nikki Collin, head coach of the Atlanta Dream of the WNBA. We can't thank you enough for joining us today. Remember, you can always send us an email to thesportsdeli at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram at Mike Hootner or on Twitter at Michael Hootner. Remember, your voice matters when fighting systemic racism. Read a book, acknowledge your white privilege, watch a movie about institutional racism, call your local or state representatives, and or have a conversation with someone that doesn't look like you so that we can change the economic, educational, police, housing, and prison narratives that currently need to be changed in this country. Remember, the Sports Deli is sponsored by SportRx. You can contact them at 888-831-5817 and talk to a live optician. And don't forget to enter the code DELI10 at checkout for your 10% discount. Please mask up. Remember, Black Lives Matter. And don't forget to check out part two of this amazing interview with Nikki Collin, head coach of the Atlanta Dream, right here in the Sports Deli. For Dr. J, I am Hootie Hoot. Until next time, peace.